This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hey, that's me. Welcome to Blue Notes, your hockey podcast network home for your reigning, defending, undisputed champion of the world. And will be for still quite a while, the St. Louis Blues. I am your host, Tom Franklin, joined as always by the man called Wags. Wags, how are you enjoying your time in social captivity? an experience. Uh, I'm starting to get uh, back into things I was doing as a teenager, playing video games, eating a lot of snacks, and drinking a lot of soda. So I, I, you know, I may be 35, but I feel like I'm 16 again. And we got a little bit of an announcement when it comes to the video gaming part of things here. We'll get to that here in just a little bit. By the way, this is the Jordan Bennington episode of Blue Notes, only because I didn't say it was the Jordan Bennington episode for episode number 50, and the only other alternative was Derek Pouliot. And let's face it, Derek Pouliot sucks, so I am making the executive decision. This is the Jordan Bennington episode of Blue Notes, damn it. All right, Uh, today uh, we are going to go down the uh, bracket of our own. The results of your fan vote of the defenseman had one very close matchup here. So close, we have to break a tie. And uh, that's uh, it's the matchup you may have seen coming based on our last episode and based on our analysis. So we'll uh, t- cross that bridge when we get there. Um, and then we'll go down the uh, next part of our bracket, which is the goaltenders. And of course, uh, we'll have the polls up for the goaltenders starting up at noon on Monday. And we'll actually go the entire week for that vote. Now, how are we doing this? Well, according to the powers that be at the Hockey Podcast Network, and I do think this is the right call just for a lot of us. I mean, me and me and you, Wags, we can carry two episodes a week, no problem. Some of us have lives. Some of us have things to do, and it's it's very hard. For some of us, it's kind of hard to talk about hockey when there is no actual hockey going on. So uh, starting with this episode and uh, for the foreseeable future, we are down to one episode a week which will be Mondays. Uh, I might try to do something fun or special like, you know, Thursday on the uh, Blue Notes Pod Twitter account. Uh, I actually, uh, I-, I bought an old relic, uh, Wags. The uh, the impulse buying has already started from my social isol- <laughs> isolation. I have been in search of a, you remember the old Tiger Electronics handheld games? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, they made uh, my stepbrother had a Wayne Gretzky versus Brett Hall uh, Tiger Electronics hockey game, and I've been looking for one for the right price and the right condition that doesn't look like it's fudged up and messed up. And I got one for oh, ten dollars. Oh, what a steal! Ten dollars, and I'm gonna pop some batteries into it, and I'm gonna play that for you guys at some point. It really just kind of depends on the mail service and how quickly uh, that comes along. So. Watch for some good old Tiger Electronics action coming oh. to the uh, Blue Notes Twitter. This is where we are, folks. This is what this, 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 we have fallen to. This 
Uh, Tiger Electronics handheld video games. Um, speaking of video games, uh, Wags, uh, you have uh, joined our goon line at the uh, Hockey Podcast Network. Now, the goon line, something that I've been kind of, you know, percolating behind the scenes for a little while now. I've just really been waiting for the free time to, you know, really tackle it. And guess what? We have free time. So uh, we are starting up a NHL 20 total, uh, excuse me, the Hockey Podcast Network uh, Twitch, or actually it's going to be a YouTube channel. We're going we're gonna to stream games on YouTube through the Hockey Podcast Network account, assuming I can get the keys to the account from the powers that be, which that shouldn't be an issue. Um, but we have a team of hockey podcasters that we will be able to play five versus five with user goaltender. So starting at left wing will be me, Tom Franklin. Playing center will be Bayou Benders. You've heard him on this podcast before. Playing right wing will either be, and they got to figure this out, uh, Shane Ryan, who you've also heard on this podcast. He's a co-host with Bayou Benders of the Devils podcast. Or Mason Dixon, who is the host of the Habs Nightly podcast. Although I think he really missed out on, you know, doing a Southern team with a name like Mason Dixon. Um, (laughs) But regardless, uh, that'll be your right winger or left defenseman. Right defenseman will be the man called Wags. Welcome to the team. I'm excited. I'll say this. I am kind of a noob when it comes to online video game play. So it's going to be fun, though, because, you know, playing around with, with people from different parts of the country and being able to all be on one team. That's something that you never were able to do when we were kids. So being able to have that and then talk to each other, it's going to be a lot of fun and user control goal senders. We're going to have like 20 to 19 games, aren't we? Oh yeah, we are. Although don't, don't, don't insult our goalie too much on that. He tries very hard and we have to be nice to him because he's actually willing to play goalie for us. I'm talking about Michael Farley of the clean skate podcast. You've heard him a few times. I think he's actually probably our, uh, top guest here on blue notes in terms of appearances. So he is actually, he plays Chell online with NHL 20 and he plays as a goaltender. That's his only character. He plays as a goalie. The guy's nuts, but uh, uh, you have to be, to be a goaltender. Yeah, but he, he does it. So it's like, you know, we have to, we have to be extra nice to him. You know, we okay. have to, we have to kick back part of our salaries to him. It's just, it, it's a whole deal. Shower him um, with gifts and, and all that stuff. Yeah. Yes, exactly right. And and the fact that we'll be playing a lot of CPU goalies means it might actually be more like twenty to like four, you uh, know, for our games. Wrong with that. So although we'll be on the wrong side of the oh to, yeah, it might be uh, might be tough. Uh, I played a little bit uh, last night with uh, Bayou Benders and Shane Ryan, and we we played some three on three and got our asses handed to us. And then Bayou, uh, then Benders left, and it was just me and Shane. We played a five-on-five five game, and we ended up winning. So, you know, it just you never know. You never know. We're going to be learning this as, along with you guys. So uh, we don't have an official start date yet. Uh, we're still kind of working on that, but uh, watch for that here, hopefully in the next week or so. Uh, but I feel pretty good at announcing that we are going forward with it. Also, might see some other gaming content as well. Uh, we're still it's we're still kind of in the theory stage, but we do have that NHL 20 uh, Xbox One team ready to go. So Perfect. there you go. Gonna gonna play some play some games. And speaking of video games, have you been watching around the league? The new thing with teams on their Twitter accounts is to simulate 
games on NHL 20. Have you been watching that at all? I haven't been able to catch any of the games yet, but I have seen them doing it. Uh, you know, Carolina was one of the first teams to do it. The Blues did one uh, this past weekend against Florida. It's yep. it's perfect. I mean, it, it gives you content. It gives you, you know, stuff to watch. And because of like being able to play online, you can have the players actually play the games if you can coordinate it properly. Yeah. And yeah, it's not going to be the same as watching a real hockey game, but to be able to have those guys play and then you can stream it on, you know, Twitch or YouTube or what have you, it's it actually, would, it's a pretty ingenious idea because then you get inside the, the heads of the players as they're playing it yeah. and maybe you actually get to see a little bit about what they see when they're actually playing an actual hockey game, whether it's simulated or not. Exactly. And I think the Blues beat the Panthers Saturday. It was like they started it at three, which I think would have been the actual puck drop time had the game actually been played. Uh, which is a nice touch. Um, it ended up being, I think, 5-1 Blues. Uh, Perron got two goals. There was an empty netter at the end. Um, whoever streamed it, though, they streamed it based on five-minute periods instead of 20. So, like, the game start like flew by. So I wonder if in the future they'll make it actual 20-minute periods so more people can watch uh, live. Uh, but it was it was interesting, and that's kind of like – that's one of the things I think is going to take off a little bit in this social distancing period is that we're going to see a lot of peep first time gamers, you know, streaming games on, you know, Twitch and YouTube and stuff like that. So that's kind of the reason why we're going to take advantage of it ourselves and uh, probably get taken advantage of by more experienced players on NHL 20. Yeah, about a bunch of eight and nine year olds cursing us out and uh, beating the the crap out yeah, of us. Yeah, 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 poning us, noobs. I guess that's is that is, is poning still a thing? I, you I know what? Know. I've 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 seen that word so many times and I have never been able to pronounce it. And I guess that basically shows you how old I am. Yeah, it, it, I, I feel poning is like in the Leroy Jenkins category of video game lore. I mean, you know, it's like it, it, it it's it's like it's been a decade. Can we can we move on? Come up with a new word. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, by the way, we do actually have some hockey news to Woo! actually talk about. That's not bracket based or video game based. It's actual living, breathing, honest to goodness hockey news. And uh, the Blues have made a uh, small signing. And when I say small, I mean five foot nine Hugh McGing of uh, Western Michigan. Uh, tell us a little bit about Hugh McGing. Uh, Hugh McGing, like you said, he was uh, from Western Michigan. He is a uh, Blues fifth-round pick, number 138 overall from the 2018 NHL draft. Uh, he played four seasons at Western Michigan, 46 goals, 71 assists, which is 117 points in 147 collegiate regular season games. Uh, he did score 13 goals and have 22 assists this past year. And it's a two-year, two-way entry-level contract that will begin in the 2021 season. Uh, so it's just one of those – I wouldn't say it's a depth signing because, you know, the, I mean, it actually probably is a depth signing. Just somebody to fill the, the spot uh, at, at the new AHL affiliate coming next year as well. Uh, but it's going to be interesting. Uh, the Blues are going to need guys that uh, are going to be able to play at that level and be able to come up due to injury and things like that. Um, and, and you're starting to see as the contracts start to expire for some of these guys that have been around a while, restricted free agent, unrestricted free agents, with the Blues being up against the cap as close as they are, they're really going to have to start repopulating with you know a lot more cost-controlled players. And that's one of those guys is human game. Yeah, it's, it's the Blackhawks dilemma that they've been dealing with as they've had some big contracts 
you know, kind of weigh them down a little bit. Um, Kings, interesting, you know, at this season, 13 goals, 22 assists, was a plus 18 in 35 games. Uh, and uh, he was named first team NCHC, which uh, which is arguably the top league in college hockey. Uh, and it's uh, apparently uh, he knows uh, Craig Ruby very well, according to uh, STL Today. Um, and uh, he uh, actually, actually, yeah, it looks like, yeah, Ruby had scouted him pretty well. So, I mean, it, he's five foot nine and, you know, a lot of people dismiss him based on his size, but I mean, there have been small players that have made it in 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 the NHL. I mean, I think back to like a Theo Fleury. You know, he was he, he was a small guy. Eric Boganecki, You know, he had his moment in the sun. He was a smaller guy as well. So interesting to see what becomes of him. I mean, it's it's you know for me it feels kind of like a bit of a lottery pick or a lottery ticket, if you will. I mean, if he if he works out great, if not, he's good depth. Um, one guy that's. Um, I think will be uh, better than depth that uh, I think he could be a bona fide uh, NHL defenseman. He is a uh, guy that's uh, he's a blues prospect. He is now a Hobie Baker award finalist. We're talking about university of Minnesota Duluth defenseman, Scott Perunovic uh, named one of 10 finalists to the 2019, 20 Hobie Baker award given to the top player in NCAA hockey um, he uh, was the 45th overall pick in the 2018 NHL draft. Uh, he actually had gone, he went two drafts before then without even being picked. And then the blues, uh, plucked him in the second round in 2018. Now I've been hyping this guy, you know, on Twitter and just among my other hockey friends, uh, because I think this kid could be the real deal. Uh, he led the Bulldogs this past season with 40 points. He had six goals, 34 assists, over 34 games this season. He posted a plus 18 ranking. He ranked 13th among all NCAA players, forward or defenseman. Now, keep in mind, Prunovic is a defenseman, so keep that in mind. And uh, he became the first blue liner ever to lead the National Collegiate Hockey Conference in points. Ever. Wow, and this was the, and this was the same uh, conference that McGing played in. Um, so of course the uh, Hobie Baker Award will be announced on April 10th. So we we've got a couple weeks to go. Uh, they'll whittle it down to three on April 2nd. But um, part of the urgency with Prunovich here is that the Blues, if they don't sign him, I forget what date it is exactly. Uh, if they don't sign him before a certain date, any NHL team could sign him. And Wags, this is a guy I don't think the Blues can afford to uh, let walk away. No, not at all. I mean, I actually we went to uh, the uh, prospects camp the last year, and he was a part of that. And watching him out there on the ice, he was actually one of the guys that really caught my eye. Uh, between him and, and Toropchenko, those were the two guys that I was like, oh, these are the two that are the next up and coming guys. Perunovic. He played very, very well in college. Uh, he looked great in the prospect camp. And obviously, you know, watching prospect, prospect camp, there's only so much you can take away from it. But his work ethic was there. His skating was smooth. He had some great hands for a defenseman. And, you know, you talk about him being small in stature, you know, more like a Kevin Shattenkirk kind of player. But yeah. defensively, he's much better. And he's more of that overall rounded player. And for someone still in college and coming out of that to be a well-rounded player is something to to kind of watch out for. 
And how many defensemen are Hobie Baker winners? Uh, you know, yeah, he's in the top 10, but it, that's an offensively driven category. But as you talked about, he led the, uh, the, the conference he was in in points as a defenseman for the first time in their history. It, that's pretty special right there. It's pretty impressive when you can generate that much buzz and that much offense as a defenseman. Um, the one knock on Perunovic and that's and some scouts, more traditional types, are kind of concerned about his upside because of it is that he is only 5'10", 175. So he's not a big guy, as you mentioned. You know, he's uh, uh, but however, I mean, it's this is another one of those things where uh. You know, I think you can overcome size. I mean, look, I mean, one guy that Prunovich has been compared to favorably is the Boston Bruins defenseman Tori Krug, as you pointed out before we started recording. Wags, Krug is five foot nine, one eighty six, and he is considered still one of the best defensemen in hockey right now. Uh, he is a very good puck moving defenseman. Prunovich profiles very much the same way. Um, in fact, the one thing that people say about Prunovich is that even though he is undersized, um, I have heard his willingness to get in the mix and, you know, throw the body as the, the word I keep hearing reading is very willing. You know, I guess that's two words, um, but he, he, he is willing to get in the mix and throw the body still. He doesn't shy away from contact at all. And I think that kind of goes into what you saw uh, in his work ethic, Wags. Oh, yeah, most definitely. He he, he is very controlled, uh, but he doesn't back down from anything. And and that's something that you see with a guy like Tori Krug. I mean, you saw that in the finals this past year. Uh, he was throwing his body around, but he was also back defensively. He also put up points. Uh, and that's exactly what Perunovich does. And, you know, college, college workout levels are wildly different than NHL workout levels. So for him to come in and maybe gain 10 or 15 pounds of muscle is totally not out of the question, which if you put him at 5'10", closer to 190, you know, that's a pretty solid defenseman right there. Yeah. And and if he's got the speed, which it looks like he does, it's a great combo right there. Absolutely. He can he could definitely put on some pounds. That's that's definitely I don't think that's gonna be an issue. I think he could end up being like, you know, one eighty five, one ninety and probably still effective in his role. So uh we'll see what happens. I'm I, I'm I from everything I've read, the blues very much want to sign him, so um and and with, you know, the questions over Petrangelo and uh, you know, Jabo looks like he's done. I mean, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he's in the mix as soon as next season you oh, know, for a be. roster spot. He has to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it'd be, it would be nice to have a uh, left-sided defenseman, uh, you know, one-two punch of Vince Dunn and Scott Perunovich. I mean, two very good puck-moving offensive defensemen. Man, that would be just awesome. Yeah, it would. I mean, yeah, both on the smaller side. And I guess, you know what, that's another one that you could compare him to is a Vince Dunn. Yeah. Vince Dunn isn't that that big of a guy, but he's very physical. He's got speed. He's got skill. You know, you could, like you said, pair those two up together, and that could be a dynamic duo right there. Yeah, don't, don't piss off Vince Dunn. I mean, he will absolutely step up to you for sure. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, Vince Dunn being a, a smaller guy, he's he's six foot 200, which, you know, I mean, it's bigger, but I mean, it's still as far as defenseman goes kind of on the low end of the uh, spectrum there. So, um, all right. Well, uh, before we go into our brackets, I uh, have an announcement to make. Um, I have officially devolved into pajamas category for uh, clothing and uh, daily wear. Um, I am now wearing hockey jerseys at work because anyone that is considered a boss at KMOX is home. 
So, uh, you know, so they, they can't come. I mean, it's just like, you know, whatever. You know, have, they don't have webcams to watch you guys? That's no, good. No, no. I mean, it, it's, I mean, they do in the studio, but I'm not in the studio. Yes. So, you know, I, I can get away with it. Um, and, and actually, to be honest, they, they're cool with it anyway. I work on godly hours, so it's like that's like a concession that, you know, they were willing to make for me. Um, <laughs> but regardless, I am I am today. I'm wearing blues, uh, blues, you know, oversized shirt and some blues pant, uh, pajama pants. And I just don't care. Um, but uh, um, I, I do need to eventually spruce up my closet at some point and coming very soon uh we are gonna have some shirts some hoodies and some and even maybe even a coffee mug uh featuring the blue notes name the blue notes logo you can be a part of blue notes nation and and wear it around st louis or wherever you live we are going to have an announcement on that very very shortly and that's I, exciting I, i'm looking forward to it that's that's when you know you've made it, you know, oh, yeah. as as a podcast or as 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 any sort of content creator is when you can start selling merch. That, that helps got merch. Uh, pay for us, right? <laughs> yes, yes, and and you know what? I I I predict that Blue Notes will be one of the highest selling merch uh, sellers on the Hockey Podcast Network because we have very close to the same color scheme as the St. Louis Blues, and let's face it, the Blues have the best color scheme in hockey, so. You're actually gonna want to wear this shit, you know. Oh I, yeah, I'm most telling definitely. You right now, you will want to wear this. So we we'll, we might have some giveaways for you coming up. It's gonna be very exciting, and uh, when we have more to announce, we will announce it. So, all right, now to the business at hand. Here we have uh, a bracket of our own, and we introduced it last week to kind of get us through these uh, doldrums here of the uh, social distancing and. Uh, you know, not being able to, in fact, actually in the city of St. Louis, uh, in St. Louis County, you're actually, we are actually under a stay at home order. You know, basically I can't go anywhere besides work or the grocery store now, or I, I can still take a walk in Forest Park if I wanted to. Um, I don't think it's an effect for your, you're in St. Charles County, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not, uh, not an effect in St. Charles. Apparently they're leaving it to the local jurisdictions to enforce it, which, we won't get political, but uh, nope. it, that's an interesting decision. I'll just it's leave it at that. A little, as 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 Sarah Palin would say, very mavericky. Yes, very very, very mavericky. Mavericky, yeah. All right, um, that was a very bad accent. I apologize. <laughs> uh, all right, a bracket of our own. So um, last week we did the uh, defenseman for the St. Louis Blues. We put it up to a fan vote. Thank you very much if you participated in that fan vote. And uh, go ahead, why don't you, and run down the results of the fan vote. Yeah, certainly. We'll start off at the top uh, with the 116 Pronger over Finley. Uh, Pronger handily won 90% to 10%. Uh, we all knew that was coming. Uh, the 10%, obviously, for people that hated Chris Pronger in Edmonton, probably. Uh, yeah, we, we, we heard there was at least one or two Edmonton Oilers fans that voted in that for Finley. Um, <laughs> and, and like I said, I think there was at least one or two smart Alec votes in there. Oh, yeah, in most general. definitely. Most yeah. definitely. Uh, the 8-9 matchup, Jeff Brown, Jay Bomeister. Bomeister, big time, 94% over Brown, 6%. You what have call you done that for me upset. lately? Yeah, we, I mean, you can call it an upset, but 9-8s are always close. Yeah. And that was not, yeah, it was surprising how close that wasn't. Although I think I think a lot of people just remembered how much of a sieve that uh, Jeff Brown was on defense. So 
and, yeah. and you also got the sympathy votes as well. So, I mean, True. you know, it, yeah. it makes sense. He wasn't uh, losing that one. No, not at all. In the five twelve matchup, you you made a great argument for Paul Cavallini. Um, I, I, I think it was one of those that it, it for you and I, it definitely came down to almost a, a coin flip after our, our conversation. Uh, for our fans, not so much. Barkley Plager, an 82% winner to 18 over Paul Cavallini. Uh, and he will go ahead and move on and face his brother, Bob Plager, who took a 94 to six win over Bob Gass off a guy who had a, had a short career, unfortunately cut short by tragedy. Yep. Uh, then you had the captain and this one, I, I was a little surprised that we didn't get any changes on this. Alex Petrangelo, a hundred percent clean sweep over Eric Brewer. Wow. Uh, and you're surprised that Eric Brewer didn't get a vote. I mean, I, I, I did everything I could to, to damage that man's reputation. I, I thought you'd have some of those crazy Oiler fans that, you know, were, I don't know, just crazy Oiler fans and I, thought I, we'll, we'll go with it. I think Oilers fans can even admit that Brewer kind of sucked. <laughs> or, I, or maybe Petrangelo, or maybe Toronto fans that were are trying to get you know Petrangelo to come here. If they can, if they can knock him down a peg here in St. Louis, maybe he he leaves. That's, and, and that's diabolical. That is it, diabolical. It's Toronto for you. But I mean, if 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 Petrangelo becomes a free agent, I mean, you need to actual need actual money to spend on Petrangelo, and they don't have any money. You know, I mean, they they have it all tied up in four players. Oh, they don't print their own money up there. No, that, oh, that, okay. I, I'm told they don't. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> so moving to seven ten matchup, uh, Colton Pareko over Shattenkirk, 92 to 8%. I think that's another one of those kind of, what have you done for me lately? But I think Colton Pareko is definitely a better defenseman than Kevin Shattenkirk was. And I think you swayed people away from Shattenkirk a lot by, you know, just, just proving that Pareko is just a better overall defender. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> uh, and the other clean sweep we had was Al McKinnis over Sasha Havanoff, 100%. Uh, that leads us to our contentious matchup, which was number 11, Rob Ramage, and number 6, Barrett Jackman. The fans voted 50-50 split. They were just in the middle. And they represented my soul when I was trying to, you know, weigh the differences between Ramage and Jackman. I mean, that was a close one. I thought that had the potential to be the closest out of everyone. Um, you know, I mean, a lot. Of, I mean, I think a lot of Blues fans remember Barrett Jackman. They remember him very fondly. Um, but when you when you just stack him up to Rob Ramage, I mean, people forget how great Rob Ramage was as a defenseman. He helped. You know, even though yeah, he did get traded for Brett Hall, he still helped the Flames win the Stanley Cup. You know, he was a big part of that team. So. Um, so 50, 50, and, uh, and, and this one, I, I, I kind of tracked it as the days went on and it went back and forth, you know, uh, there was, it looked like it was going to be Jackman and then it went to Ramage and then it went back to Jackman. And then now it went to 50, 50 right before the uh, deadline hits. So that leaves us with a bit of a problem because we can't advance two players in one bracket. Uh, and, you know, so we have to figure out how we're going to sort this out. And I we, we, we talked it over before the podcast about how we're going to break this tie. And simply put, we both picked Rob Ramage in our analysis. And so I think the, the fairest way to do it is have us be the tiebreaker. I agree. Uh, I mean, this is still a 100% fan vote, you know. So, I mean, if, if – if, and I actually, as of 11 o'clock, you know, about an hour before the polls closed, it was Jackman slightly ahead of Ramage. It was like a 53-47 split. If that held, then Jackman would have gone through. Um, but it, it's 50-50, and we needed a way to tie break it. So, uh, outside of flipping a coin, which I didn't feel was fair to either one of them, 
Um, we made the arguments for Ramage, and we are going to advance Rob Ramage in a bracket of our own. Yeah, and it so, just shows you how important it is for you to get out there and vote. Yes, vote for these people. Not just in your political elections, but even in the fan vote for a bracket of our own. Vote. It's democratic. We, we need to come up with a, uh, you know, the Uncle Sam thing. Just put the I want you thing, but have one of our faces on there and say to vote. Hmm, you know, I've been trying to learn, like, you know, a little bit more about Photoshop and Adobe products lately. So I might work on something like that. Ooh. You, you, you've given me a task. <laughs> And, and and I shall I shall endeavor to do my best. Although you know, if people actually want to see my mug on Uncle Sam, that's a different story. But um, I got. I think you look. I, I think you look better than me. Okay, you know what, Wags? You know, I the the, the contract when you signed the joint blue note states that you got to shower me with praise whenever possible. But that's just a little bit too much. Okay. <laughs> oh, brown knows too much. Okay. A <laughs> little too much. Okay, tone it down a little. Simmer down. Simmer down. All right. So that's our that's our fan vote for the uh, defensemen, and uh, we will uh, address them in the second round uh, after we get done with the first round. And so uh, that means we are moving on to the goalie region for a bracket of our own. And, you know, I came up with uh, the names. You seeded them. Um, goaltending for the Blues, finding 16 goalies to actually put in an all-time bracket was very difficult. Uh, because the Blues have had a definitely a sordid history when it comes to goaltending. Um, in fact, you know, just for a bit of trivia, uh, we do have Glenn Hall and Jock Plant in 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 our in our bracket of our own. There is no goalie from the seventies uh, after Plant and Hall that's in this tournament until you get to Mike Leute, who was you know seventy nine eighty, I think was his first year with the Blues. A nearly eight-year gap. That's how bad Blues goaltending was in the 70s. Um, so we, I dug very deep to find 16 names. And Wags, you have valiantly seeded every one of them. And uh, let's go ahead and run down the goaltending bracket for a bracket of our own. All right. Well, I did my best. So, you know, if you guys are upset, you know, let me have it. Uh, or, or, so- or, or vote. Or vote, yes, vote. You know, make your voices heard. Uh, so we've got the one sixteen matchup. We're gonna go with Jordan Biddington as the overall number one. The only reason is because he's a Stanley Cup champion. The first one that did that in Blues history. He had a remarkable year last year. So you know, yeah, you got you know guys like Curtis Joseph and Grant Fuhr and Mike Liute. Uh, but Jordan Biddington finished the job, so that's why he's our number one. Going up against Greg Millen uh, in the eight nine matchup, you got the aforementioned Jacques Plante and Glenn Hall. So a battle of the uh, of the teammates. Intriguing. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that uh, plays out at the five twelve matchup. Brian Elliott and Chris Mason. I think that one actually is going to be a little bit closer than we think. Uh, number thirteen and number four. Manny Legacy going up against Cujo. I've already got my pick for that one. He's one Same. of the guys I grew up with. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, number three, Mike going up against number fourteen, Chris Osgood. Another got one my of those guys. Yeah, I do too, but I think you can make an argument. No, you can't. Uh, no. <laughs> number no. 11, Roman Turek going up against number six, Jake Allen. Uh, number seven, Yaro Halak against number 10, Brent Johnson. This one might be closer than people that's think. That's the one I'm thinking, yep. I agree. And then number 15, Rick Walmsley going up against number two, Grant Fuhr. But like I said, you know, like you said as well, that Halak-Johnson matchup, I think is going to get the, the, the same treatment as the Jackman-Ramage treatment. 
Yeah, the only the only thing there is it depends on I mean, because Brent Johnson was like the original Jake Allen in St. Louis. I mean, he was reviled for not being what Grant Fuhr and Cujo was basically. But this is going to be a question of how has time forgiven him? You know, we'll we'll we'll, we'll cross that bridge uh, when we get there. Um, but one easy bridge that we have to cross here is our first matchup. Um, Jordan Bennington, the number one seed, taking on the number 16 seeded Greg Millen. And I'll ask you the same question that I asked when we did Pronger and Finley. Do I really ha- do we really have to compare these guys? Uh, no, because uh, Jordan Pennington has about two thirds of the wins that Greg Millen had in uh, about two thirds of the games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's the, there. There's no. I mean, Greg Millen played over 200 games with the Blues. He had a 3.44 goals against and an 8.80 save percentage. Granted, he played in the uh, late 80s where there were goals aplenty. So you know, having a goaltender with the goals against in the threes wasn't uncommon. Having a goaltender still in the like around the three point five range was still not very good. Um, so Greg Millen, uh, he came to the Blues with Mark Johnson for Mike Leute and Jorgen Pedersen, um, and that was a just a god awful trade that was made by Harry Ornest, who was the owner of the Blues and needed to save money. Um, so that's that. That was the motivation there. And then um, Greg Millen ended up going to Quebec with Tony Herkus for Jeff Brown in oh. 1989. So a uh, little factoid there. Um, and, of course, Bennington, you know, Stanley Cup winner. Uh, he uh, doesn't get nervous. Um, he, uh, in his Blues career, he has played a total of 83 games. And he has started 80 of them. So he has played like, you know, he's now played over a calendar year with the Blues. Uh, he has a 231 goals against average and a 917 save percentage during the regular season. Uh, he was second in the Calder voting last year. He was fifth in the Vesna last year. Uh, we all know what he did in the playoffs. I mean, he had an incredible run, uh, bounced back from losses. He, um, he is basically every St. Louis woman's dream, at least uh, among the women that I know. I mean, apparently he's cute, um, so I'm told. Um, I mean, what what more can you say? I mean, he and, and of course, let's not forget the most important factor. Um, he was uh, uh, acquired uh, in a trade for Eric Brewer, which is the most important thing. Oh yeah, most important thing. Because yeah, it, totally. it meant that Eric Brewer was you know shed from the Blues forever. Thank God. Um, and of course, it technically was for the pick that became Bennington, but still, uh, this one walk over Jordan Bennington. Totally, totally. And, and you talk about uh, Eric Brewer. You essentially traded one robot for another, but it's like you got the upgraded <laughs> version of the robot because Bennington has no. It seems like he has no emotional level, but it's at a different. It's a different level than Eric Brewer. Eric Brewer was just completely. Bleh. Bennington, yeah. he's got that no emotion, but it's like a cool no emotion kind of thing. You, you posted a picture on Twitter about uh, for the all-star game. Yeah. And it's the, it's the picture of the four blues all-stars and you got the three all-stars smiling and Biddington's just over there with his same old look. It's, <laughs> and it's, like, it's, Smile. He, he has a look on his face. Like, do I have to do this? Like really seriously guys, you know, come on. You, you know, he was probably about four or five beers in about at that point. Oh, I'm probably. sure. Definitely. Definitely. I'm he was sure. having, a, he was having a good, good time. And yes, he, by the way, Jordan Bennington has smiled. Oh yes, he he definitely has a smile, um, but it's not his 
it's not his default. Let's just say. So yeah, he, uh, he's all business when it comes to hockey. You know, he is. He knows what he needs to do, and he goes out there and he does it, and he backs it up. And that's that's the thing. He backs up what he's all about. It doesn't yeah. matter if he wins or he loses. He's the same. He backs it up and he goes out there every night. And that's to me, that's something you need in a goaltender. You need that steadying influence back there. And I know what you're saying, fans. Oh, God, they're talking about Eric Brewer again. Will they ever stop talking about how bad Eric Brewer was? No. He was bad. And it's cathartic for us to, to, to throw Eric Brewer under a bus repeatedly. So All the time. All the time. Every day. Every day. <laughs> All right. Next up, we have, uh, you know, besides the aforementioned Halak Johnson matchup, what I think could be the closest matchup of this, uh, this uh, region here. Number eight, Glenn Hall versus number nine, Jock Plant. And this one, I think a lot of fans look at these two as one and the same, you know, probably because that's pretty much how they were used by the Blues during the first uh, three years of their history. And um, to, to, to separate these two, I, I was looking at this matchup and Wags, I think you kind of have to look at the numbers on this one just to, and, and, and still you have to, you know, weigh was shorter, better success, you know, more valuable than more longer term, not as good success. Because Plant only played two years for the Blues, and then Hall played four. Uh, but Plant's numbers were better. What do you think, Wags? You know, it's it's going to be close. Uh, I think for me, it's going to come down to just overall, uh, I think the longer term. Because... You know, both of them played very, very well. Plant, 69 games, 36, 21, and 11. 207 goals against 931 save percentage. Whereas you look at Hall, 140. He had a 243 and a 917. So like you said, a little bit worse numbers, but they're still pretty darn good. Yeah. They, they, they shared the Vezina Trophy in 68, 69, which essentially at the time I think kind of is like the Jennings Trophy is now. Two goaltenders being the best in the league. Uh, but the thing that really comes down to it is Glenn Hall was the guy that got the con Smythe in 67, 68. Um, it, that just shows me that he had a little bit more of an impact than Jacques Plant did on the blues. And that's, that's really, it's so razor thin. I think that's going to be my determining factor, at least in, in how I go on this is I'm going to go Glenn Hall because he seemed to be the de facto default. If we need a game stopped and we need a game one, or we need someone to come in and just, play well it was going to be mr hockey glenn hall i am i'm actually gonna go with plant on this one um just simply because we, we've kind of set a precedent already in this in this region where short-term success can still mean you're a number one seed yeah. and that's that's jordan bennington um and again we're, we're, we're judging these players just on their time with the blues i mean if you compared plant and hall for their entire careers I think the win goes to Plants, no question. Uh, I mean, I mean, Call was very good. Don't get me wrong, uh, but Plant was just—he was amazing for his time period. Um, with the Blues, I mean, you know, keep it. I mean, Plant wasn't there for the first year of the Blues. He actually came along during the second year, and then he played the third year, and then he was sold to Toronto for cash, basically, because the Solomons were starting to have some financial issues. And not only that, but Plant was forty-one years old and. As you kind of pointed out, I think Hall was the uh, uh, he was like the de facto number one. I mean, he played more games in both of their seasons um, than uh, than did than Plant. Actually, I take it back. Plant played more in sixty nine seventy. I think Hall got hurt, so I got to backtrack a little bit. Um, 
the numbers, I mean, I mean, Jock Plant in 68-69, first of all, this was his first season uh, coming off of a retirement. He had, he had been a member of the New York Rangers in 1964-65, and it is age 36 season after posting a 338 goals against and a 902 save percentage, kind of pedestrian, uh, he decided to hang him up. So he rested, got picked up by the Blues, and had one of his, I mean, I mean, maybe not in terms of games played, but statistically one of the best seasons of his career, and a, a legendary career. 196 goals against and a 940 save percentage. Those were the best numbers in the entire NHL. Now, I think Hall, you know, got, you know, as you mentioned, you know, Glenn Hall got the con Smythe. Um, that was in the 67-68 season. Uh, Plant uh, this season was 68-69. Um, Plant was just and and then in his second year he still had a 2.19 goals against and a 9.18 save percentage. Very good numbers. Um, and it, it's it's you know Glenn Hall was also very good. I mean, and don't don't get me wrong, and he did play for a lot longer than Plant, but really for me, you know, you know, Hall played only 18 games in 69-70 and uh he had a 291 goals against and a 903 save percentage, obviously dealing with injury. And then 70-71, he had a 242 goals against and a 918 save percentage in just 32 games. He was not the primary that season. So really it kind of boils down to, you know, which pair of seasons was better. You know, do we look at you know, Plant's two seasons uh, where he played, um, you know, 37 and 32 games, or do we, and, or do, and we compare them to Hall's 49 and 41 game seasons. Now, that does include a Consmy season, as you mentioned. Um, but Plant's numbers were just a little bit better. And not only that, but it was Glenn Hall that was in goal for that famous Bobby Orr goal. And if you have seen replays of Bobby Orr's goal, Glenn Hall ends up going ass over tea kettle into his own net. I have no idea what he was doing on the play. I don't think he knew what he was doing on that play, but he was on the uh, wrong side of history there. So by that very narrow margin, I'm going with Jack Plant. You know what? You you can't go wrong either way. I mean, no. you look at you look at Plant and you know, his two years in St. Louis and then he goes to Toronto and then all of a sudden in Toronto – he has arguably probably his best season ever, 189 goals against a 944 save percentage. And he still played, he played four more years after he was in St. Louis. And you said he was 41 when he was in St. Louis? Yeah. I mean, that's that's insane. And he played at a high level at that time as well. So, I mean, the, I mean, the nut job even played a year in uh, the WHA when he was 46 years old for the Edmonton Oilers. I mean... And he still played 31 games that season. That's I mean, nuts. He, he incredibly nuts. I mean, and that's not to take anything away from Glenn Hall when he retired after his final year with the Blues. He was 39, so he wasn't a spring chicken either. But Plot was just he he was just a, a, a breed of his own. And uh, of course, you know, we have Jock Plant to thank for goaltenders wearing masks at all. He was the uh, first goalie that wore a mask. Yeah, that is very, very true. So, I mean, that's that's another claim to fame he has there. But, but <laughs> you're swaying but, me, man. You're swaying me. Well, but you know what? At the same time, it's and again, this is, but it kind of goes to what I first said, and that is, this is really subjective. It depends on do you value long term success or do you value more short term impactful success? Uh, and 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 as you pointed out, I mean, Glenn Hall still played more games 
um, you know, than Jock Plant did. So it just it comes down to that basically. Yeah, it's it's very very subjective. So you guys need to let us know what you think so we can you know either make a subjective call or not. Because if we go with Bennington and then we go with Hall, we're yeah. we're pretty much yeah both I guess. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's true. Um, but uh, you know, Hall was there for all three Stanley Cups, so that also values for something. So I'm, I'm not trying to talk myself out of plot, but I'm just saying it's a close one. Yeah, good argument. So uh, on to the next one. Who we got? We got uh, number five, Brian Elliott, going up against number twelve, Chris Mason. Uh, in, in this one, you know, I think a lot of people look at Brian Elliott as the guy that the Blues should have stuck with uh, outside of instead of Jake Allen. Uh, I mean, I think you're one of those included. Yeah. And you know, I don't, I don't discredit that at all. He, he played amazing. I mean, he essentially came in on a minor league contract. Yeah, I believe. And he wasn't even guaranteed a spot on this team. He, you know, for all intents and purposes, he thought he was going to be playing in, in Chicago for the wolves. And he came in, had a great camp, got the backup position. And then all of a sudden just went on a run with Yara Halak. You know, they were the, uh, 20, 2012 Jennings winner, uh, in yeah. 181 games, a 925 save percentage, and a 2.01 goals against. I mean, that's that's Inc- almost unheard of in this in this day and age. And then in the year that they that he won the Jennings with Halak, uh, you know, Elliott started 38 games. He had a 156 goals against average. That is obscene, and a 940 save percentage. And the knock on Elliott was that. Oh, and he had a lot of the same concerns that I think people have with Bennington, although I think Bennington's kind of erasing them a little bit, is his durability yep. and his his endurance to to be a number one and carry the team's full load of, of games. Uh, aside from his final two years, uh, Elliott did not play uh, more than half of the Blues games on, on, on the schedule. Uh, his first three years, he played 38 games, 24 games, 31 games. Uh, and then the last two years, he played 46 and 42. Not numbers that 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 really belayed a lot of confidence in Elliott's ability to be a number one. He always was kind of treated as a 1A, 1B type. Kind of like, you know, the Plant Hall, you know, conundrum uh, that the Blues uh, had in the uh, Stanley Cup years, uh, their first three years. Um but Elliot's numbers, when you look back on them, though, I mean, it does kind of make you wonder, what if? You know, what, I mean, what if they had let him run with it? What if Elliot had better luck with injuries? Because even now, I mean, even even now that he's gone, I mean, he's he's still with Philadelphia, and he still has injury issues. I mean, it, it just, unfortunately, he's just one of those guys that seems to be snake bit a little bit. And you just wonder if he had better health, how would history view him? Would he be higher than a five seed here? Probably. Uh, in well, my I mean, opinion, at least. Look at it this way. I mean, even in the short span that he got to play, he's the Blues' all-time leader in shutouts. Yeah. I mean, that, that that doesn't tell you what kind of uh, talent he has. I don't know what does because that's incredible for a team that has had, you know, Grant Fuhrer and Curtis Joseph and guys like Hall and Plant and Leutes and, and things like that to be the shutout leader in all time and you've only, and you played 181 games. That's pretty <laughs> darn impressive. And it, it, once again, it shows you the talent level he has. There were games and stretches where he did, he looked unbeatable. You, yeah. you couldn't get a puck by him. And he, he was, like you said, kind of Bennington esque where he was very calm, very, you know, 
in position for most of the time. He really took to heart what the goaltending coaches did as far as what the work was. And it was all about squaring up and swallowing pucks. And that's what Brian Elliott did. And, and he does still. And it's just a shame that injuries have kind of prevented him from really ascending to a number one spot consistently. Yeah, definitely. And then on the flip side, you look at Chris Mason. Uh, Chris Mason, I remember when he was signed, he was supposed to be the backup to Manny Legacy. Yep. And uh, he was a longtime, you know, Nashville backup, which is also a similar story that Carter Hutton had, a uh, longtime Nashville backup that got success with the Blues and then cashed in. Um, Mason, you know, his first year, I mean, here was when Legacy was basically imploding as a goaltender. Uh, he had a uh, he started 57 games. Uh, excuse me, he played 57 games, started 51 of them. Um, and then he had a 2.41 goals against and a 9.16 save percentage in 2008-2009. Still kind of a dark era for uh, the St. Louis Blues. They were still coming out of those really bad uh, Bill Lorry years out of the uh, lockout. And then Mason, I think the next year he was considered the number one, I guess kind of by default. Uh, this was before Halak, right before Halak, and right before Elliott. Uh, so 2009-2010, Chris Mason starts 61 games. And uh, which is a lot, and uh, he had a 2.53 goals against and a 9.13 save percentage. Not bad. Uh, he was not a bad goaltender at all. Um, he was stretched, I think, a little bit in St. Louis, being a true number one. And uh, the last he played the last couple years, they played one year in Atlanta, one year at Winnipeg, one year at Nashville, and then he was kind of done after that. Um, but definitely Chris Mason's one of the uh, more favorite sons of Nashville fans because he played in Nashville for so long. Uh, in fact, he actually uh, does some of their uh, um, in-stadium uh, like mic duties. I think he does like their pregame, you know, for uh, inside Bridgestone Arena. Um, so he's, he still loved in Nashville a lot. Uh, but he was he was okay. Uh, but he, he, he never had really great moments that Brian Elliott had. And no, I he, and I think I think Elliot takes this one. Yeah, I, I agree one hundred percent. I mean, when Mason was in Nashville, he kind of was a little bit of a bane for the Blues. So you kind of never really like going up against him uh, when you were uh, playing Nashville. But he had a couple memorable games against Nashville as a Blue. <laughs> a couple of shutouts, I believe, and yeah. one of them I think was in overtime. Uh, so yeah, he had some he had some moments in St. Louis, and he was one of those guys that he was a good guy, a good player, a good personality. Yeah. Uh, and really, and to be perfectly honest, this takes us back to the beginning of the show. He really kind of got a, his shot here in St. Louis because of Sarah Palin, because of Manny <laughs> Legacy falling on the on the carpet, was it not? I, I think so. I mean, well, and I think Legacy just kind of like just deteriorated in general. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think he, you know, whatever you know, magic dust that he had to become a you know good goalie in Detroit and then with the Blues, I think expired. Um, by the way, speaking of Manny Legacy, he's in our next matchup. That he is. That he is. Manny Legacy is going up against uh, Curtis Joseph. And, and once again, this is another one where the, the, the tea leaves are kind of, I've already been read. Uh, you know, Cujo yeah. is, a, is a legend, uh, not just here, but kind of in the NHL. I mean, he never really won anything as far as, you know, a cup or, or, or a Vezina or anything like that. But he was always there. He was always consistent. Uh, with the Blues, 280 games played, a 304 goals against, 907 save percentage, a three-time All-Star, and he was top five in the Vezina in 92, 93, and 93, 94. 
Uh, and, and the biggest thing for, for us as Blues fans is, is him going away because of Mike Keenan. There you go. There you go, Tom. Continue. <laughs> I mean, for me growing up, it, it was all about C- Curtis Joseph. It was Cujo. Yeah. It was Hall. It was Shanahan. It was Oates. Th- that, was, that was my childhood. And that Cujo mask was something else. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, this year the Blues did go back to their retro clown jerseys for a couple of games. And, you know, Bennington really nodded back to Curtis Joseph as well. So it really shows you his permeance in the organization, even at this point in time where he didn't play. He hasn't played with the Blues in like 20 years. And yet Curtis Joseph is still one of the guys that people are like, yeah, that's who I want to emulate. That's who I want to be like. It's Cujo, and that's that's the crazy thing. And to go up against Manny Legacy, who, like you said, kind of deteriorated in yeah. his time here in St. Louis, it's it's another one of those, this is going to be a walk. Yeah, Cujo, you know, you look at his regular season numbers, and they always were just like, they were like sub-great. You know, he was just considered kind of a kind of a good regular season goalie, but not great. Uh, you know, keep in mind, in his era, in the early 90s, they were still scoring goals in bunches back then, so... Uh, a goals against average around three was not bad, but he was always had one of those reputations, even with the Blues, where he just turned it up in the playoffs. Uh, in 92-93, he played 11 games for the Blues, and he had a 227 goals against average and a uh, playoff best 938 save percentage, and he also had the most shutouts with two. Uh, and he kind of carried that reputation throughout the rest of his career uh, in Edmonton, in Toronto. Uh, he in Toronto, he's he he is considered a, a legend in Toronto because of how he did in the playoffs. I mean, he um, in Toronto, he played 60 games uh, in the playoffs for the Leafs, a 2.25 goals against and a 9.19 save percentage in the late 90s. That's very good. Uh, of course, we're not judging him on that. I think we know that Cujo is going to advance in this round, just among us. Um, but uh, yeah, he was uh, he was an interesting guy for sure, and definitely had one of the best masks. I think he was one of like the original uh, goaltenders that like put time and effort into uh, putting art in, on his mask. So very cool guy. Legacy, you know, he, uh, he was a guy that, you know, he seemed to be one of those goalies that uh, could only do well in Detroit, you know, for a lot of his career. And he played very well for the Red Wings. Um, when he came to the Blues, it was it was 2006, 2007. It was right after Patrick Laleem. Um, you know, so anything it, was an upgrade there. Anything was an upgrade over there. I mean, it, it's it's pretty. I mean, look, you have to be a terrible goalie to not actually make it in the top 16 of, of a bracket of our own. Uh, Patrick Laleem did not make it. Let's just say that. Um, that. Although to be fair, Carter Hutton didn't make it either. And it's true, but, but he he didn't have the body of work I don't think to even make it over like an Osgood or a uh, legacy uh, he was signed as a free agent uh, August 8th 2006 he was just sitting out there in free agency the Blues picked him up and uh, he gave the Blues 140 games uh, 262 uh, goals against average and a um, 905 save percentage but really um, his first year with the Blues was okay he played 45 games 259 goals against and a 907 he actually was pretty good in 2007-08. He had a 241 goals against and a 911 save percentage, but that was they, the Blues wrung the last bit of magic out of Legacy that year because the next year he had a 318 goals against and an 885 save percentage. And I remember he got sent down to Wooster 
Uh, at the time, Wooster was the AHL affiliate. I think I think it was them. Actually, it may have been Peoria by then. I think it was Peoria, yeah. I think it was Peoria. He was, he was, I remember he was sent down to Peoria, and he was very pissed off about it. Uh, he felt kind of, like, insulted, I guess. And then he ends up playing one more bad year in Carolina, and then he's done. Um, definitely one of those goalies the Blues have had where it seemed like he had one good year, and then he fell apart. You know, there, there, there's. you'll notice a recurring trend here with our next uh, – couple matchups including this one of one year wonders uh for the blues and legacy i put in that category as well um but for this matchup it's cujo i think this one will probably not be close not at all not at all i mean the, the crazy thing for me with in regards to legacy at least is how the blues were able to get him in free agency and what detroit was thinking or if they knew something was was ahead because the year before, he was at 37, 8, and 3 with a 219 goals against and a 915 save percentage. I mean, that's, in my mind, you kind of want to maybe keep that around in a, in a team. So Detroit must have known something was either happening or, or what because he did kind of fall back down to earth after three straight years of sub 2.2 goals against. And they must have known something, and the Blues jumped on it, and it didn't work out so well for them. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, um, and speaking of one-year wonders, we have another one for the Blues here. Although, if you compare their careers, it'd be an, actually an interesting matchup uh, if you've looked at their entire body of work. But at last, it's a, uh, a matchup between number three, Mike Liute, versus number 14, Chris Osgood. And um, Osgood, you all, when you say the words Chris Osgood, you think Detroit Red Wings and rightfully so, because it seemed like that, you know, except for one year in St. Louis, he could only play good in a Red Wings uniform. It was weird. Um, and he had a good year with the Blues. He had he had the, the one good year I'm talking about is 2003-2004, uh, where he had a 224 goals against and a 910 save percentage. Um, he played 67 games that year. He was acquired uh, midway through the season the year before for... Uh, the legendary forward that never was Justin Papineau and a second round pick who became uh, no one in 2003. Uh, he came along, uh, Chris Osgood did, during a time in uh, Blues history. Uh, it was within the 2002-2003 season and uh, the Blues were desperate uh, this particular year because in 2002-2003, this is the one of the years, I think this may have been the big year, they had seven goalies suit up for them and play actual NHL games for them in 2002-2003. They started off with Brent Johnson, and I think he got hurt. Then they had Fred Brathwaite. Then they had Curtis Sanford, the uh, legendary Missouri River Otter goalie. Uh, then Chris Osgood. Then Reinhard Divis, or Divis, Corey Rutkowski, remember him? Didn't oh think boy. so. Didn't think so. And finally, for six games, Tom Barrasso. They actually picked up Tom Barrasso, I think, as a free agent off the scrappy because they were desperate. That was like the original Martin Brodeur signing for the Blues was Tom Barrasso. Um, so, yeah, Osgood came along in that one year. And then uh, he went uh, back home. He, and when I say back home, I mean he went back to Detroit. Um, and that that's pretty much the story of Osgood as a St. Louis Blue. He's going up against Mike Liute. 
who I'm going to r- rattle off some numbers here. And they're going to sound kind of ugly, but I'm also going to follow them up with some context as well here. So in 1980-81, as a 25-year-old, Mike Leute started 61 games. He had a 335 goals against average and an 894 save percentage. That doesn't sound good, does it? No, it does not. But in that year, he was an all-star. He won the Lester B. Pearson Award. And he was second in the Hart Trophy race (laughs) with a 335 goals against and an 894 save percentage. That goes to show you how live the puck was during this era when he was second in the Hart Trophy running. And the year before, his first year as a blue in 79-80, he came over from the uh, WHA when they folded. He was sixth in the Hart for the entire best player in the entire league. As a goalie. As a goalie. What? As a blues goalie, which is even more crazy. <laughs> this, uh, this should happen. That's incredible. As I, as, I, as I suddenly morph into Jerry Seinfeld. Um, <laughs> what's going on? All right. Uh, but no, Liut was a very good goalie for his time um, in a live puck era. Um, and he never should have been traded away from St. Louis. It's just that Blues owner Harry Ornis was a cheap ass. Basically, that's what that amounted to. Um, to me, it's not close. I think it's Liut. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Anytime you can have a goaltender place that high in the heart voting, not just one year, but two years in, in a row, uh, it just tells you, once again, the, the talent level that a guy like Liu had. Um, and he's a guy that, you know, he gets lost in the shuffle when it comes to uh, all-time greats for the Blues. Big time. Uh, he, he's up until about, really about seven or eight years ago, I didn't even know who Mike Liu was. Because yeah. I never really studied the, the the history in the past of the Blues, you you would talk about Hall and Ploth, and then you talk about Cujo, and then you talk about Fear, and that's who you talk about. But really, Mike Leute is one of the, if not the best, goaltender in Blues history overall, just for what he did in the time frame that he did it in. Um, and I guess my question to you is, if the Blues don't trade Mike Leute, do they want to stand the cup before this? I think it's quite possible because. When Liut was traded, he was 29 years old. This was 1984-85, and he would have been playing in his early 30s during an era when the Blues still had Doug Gilmore. They had Federko. Actually, they, they would have traded Federko for Oates at the time. So you would have had Oates and Hull. You would have had Gilmore around. You would have had Rod Brindamore. You would have had Scott Stevens. I mean, that's and and in the years that followed uh, when Mike, Mike Liut was traded, their goaltending situation was very much in flux. You had Greg Millen, the aforementioned Greg Millen, who he was actually traded for. Um, you had Vincent Riendo, another Ooh. guy, another guy who did not make the top sixteen for a reason. Um, although they thought for a year or two that Riendo was going to be the guy um, to kind of lead the Blues into the future, he kind of came up the same time that Curtis Joseph came up. But they thought Riendo was the guy, and then Curtis Joseph kind of proved them stupid on that um but yeah it just it, 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 that is an interesting kind of what if scenario there wags what if mike Leute was still around with the blues during you know the late 80s you know and early by, by the time 92 rolled around Leute was done oh, yeah. so so you would have had probably a passing of the torch between Leute and joseph um, which would have been quite a thing to have. And and if and if Liu did stick stick around with the Blues, I think it's very possible he could have been a number he could have definitely been a number two, maybe even a number one 
on on our on our bracket of our own. Oh yeah, no no question about that. Yeah, definitely. So, um, but for the purposes of this, I mean, if you look at their careers, I mean, again, I think it's a fascinating argument between Liut and Hosgood. Um, but I think just for the Blues impact, it's definitely Liut. Yeah, no question. I mean, three fourteen. That upset doesn't happen very often. It has to be something special. And you know, Osgood in his time frame here, like you said, good goaltender. I enjoyed watching him play here as a Blue. I'll, yeah. But I'll always remember him just for his mask. That's about the only thing I'll remember him for. Because because it was an old school mask, yep. and it was and, and he never made it blue. It was still Red Wings colored. While yeah, I was it, here, it was still red with like that l- white little wing or whatever he had. Yeah, he on never it. embraced the city. And no. and that and, and Liut did, um, which is another piece of it as well. I mean, it, it's a lasting impact and a lasting legacy that you put on this team, and and Liut did that. And and Osgood, I don't think ever got Detroit out of the system, and that, nope. then he went back to Detroit. So, uh, speaking of one year wonders, uh, we have one in our next matchup here. Uh, number six, Jake Allen, who's not the one year wonder, taking on bona fide one year wonder number eleven, Roman Turek. <sighs> And this, ugh, this is this is gonna, you know, if you have heartburn or GERD or acid reflux, this is, you know, just mentioning those two names are gonna give you acid reflux for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, this one's painful, Wags. I, I, why don't you, why don't you take this one? Because I'm, <laughs> I, I'm hurting right now. Oh, this is this is where my heartbreak kind of began with the Blues was with with Roman Turek. Um, you know. Uh, Great season, great regular season. Uh, in his career, 121 games, 66-33-19, a 2.10 goals against, 9.07 save percentage. First in the Jennings in 99-2000, the year they won the, the President's Trophy. He was second in the Vesna, and here's another part. He was top six in the heart that year as well. So he had a hell of a season in 99-2000. But the only thing I'll ever remember is that goal from center ice against San Jose oh. and then losing to the Sharks. In the first round. And <laughs> that was when I finally, that was the first time I experienced true heartbreak. And it wasn't from a woman. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. I, I guess that shows our age difference because for me, my, my first heartbreak was Gretzky had it, lost it, you know, against the Red Wings. That, that was, that was heartbreak for me too. But I was in, I was in uh, fifth grade at the time. So I didn't okay. really, I didn't really know what heartbreak really was. I was sad True. and disappointed and I had high expectations, but one thing being a fifth grader and one thing being a teenager and experiencing heartbreak. And mm-hmm. for me, two different levels but that one was like the first true like wow will life go on after this kind of moment (laughs) (laughs) and then you look you look at turk in his second year 2000 2001 and uh i mean his numbers don't look terrible i mean 227 goals against and a 901 save percentage but at the time i think that center ice goal broke him yep i agree i it, it broke him and uh he just was not the same, and he was very like. By the time he left, I mean, fans were ready to pack his bags for him, um, and he was traded to Calgary uh, for Fred Brathwaite and some junk, basically. Uh, um, yeah, not good. Uh, Brathwaite again, you know, another one of those goalies didn't make the cut. He was just, he was just pretty much a backup. Um, but I, I, I remember Fred. He was a, um, he wasn't bad. Uh, no, he, no, no, good analyst now, I believe. Yeah, very good analyst, and also small, five foot seven. 185. That's everything I remember about Fred was that how small he was. Uh, you don't, you won't see five seven goaltenders ever again no. in the NHL probably. No, 
Not at uh, all. Well, def- def- <laughs> definitely not five foot five goaltenders like Darren Ping. Oh no, no, gosh, no. no. That no, would that, be insane. <laughs> that would be, that would be that would be. I mean, unless you're like trying to tank for the first overall pick, well, then, true. Or, you know, or the NHL wants to increase scoring. They must. They got a mandate that all goaltenders must be five five or below. Well, I I can see Darren Pang limbering up as we speak, you know, for a return to the NHL on that one. Um, but uh, regardless, yeah, that's that's Roman Turek. Uh, he was supposed to be the next great one. He came right after Fewer. So, um, you know, that was and, and I remember he was traded from Dallas because Dallas had this like conga line of great goaltenders that were coming up because they had they still had Eddie, Eddie Eagle at mm-hmm. Belfour. They had Roman Turek. They had uh, Manny Fernandez, yep, uh, who ended up going on to uh, Minnesota, I believe. Yep. Um, and yeah, just uh, just and Marty a, Turco. Uh, Turco Marty as well. Turco. You know, yeah. I, 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 there was a fourth one in there I wasn't thinking of, and it was Turco. So uh, just incredible run of goaltending for uh, Dallas. They're a bracket of their own. If Michael Farley ever does one, will be probably a lot better in the goalie department than ours. <laughs> Let's just say that. So, um, and then. You're 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 talking about a guy who's still a lower seed to Jake Allen. You know, think about that. Um, you know, among Jake Allen, easily, you know, at least definitely, at least maybe it's just recent memory here. One of the most divisive goalies the Blues have ever had. Uh, you look at his numbers. I mean, he's played 289 games. He has a 250 goals against a 913 save percentage. Um, but he's never been he's he's never been elite. I think some fans thought he was going to be elite. He never has been. He's just been good. But he has the yips, or at least he had them before this season. I mean, I his before Bennington took over. I mean, something was definitely going on between the years with Jake Allen. Uh, 2018-2019, he had a 283 goals against average. The year before that, he had a 275 goals against. Uh, say percentages, you know, 905, 906%. So he had something going on. And uh, he's turned it around this year amazingly. And, uh, you know, I, I think that probably helped his seeding a little bit when you put this together, Wags, is how he's been doing lately. Um, but definitely definitely a mercurial type of a goalie, Wags. Very much so. And, and he's this argument I always made for him was he always seemed like he needed the pressure of someone playing well next to him uh, yeah. you know when when he had a guy like Elliot or or Carter Hutton when they were uh, their game was up at that level of you know the one goaltender like the number one it always seemed like he would raise his game and he'd play very very well as well and then when they struggled he seemed to struggle and then last year when he got the chance to be the number one you saw what happened it was just not something he was able to grasp and kind of control and it's like once Bennington came in all of a sudden, even last year, you saw moments where it was like, oh, there's the Jake Allen that we've seen before. And yep. then this year, a wildly different Jake Allen because he was, the pressure wasn't on him. And I think that's the thing. If the pressure's not on him and he can just go out there and play his game, he is a good goaltender. And my, a lot of people aren't going to believe this. He's three wins away from the top spot in Blues history. Yeah, he has 148 career wins for the Blues. That's that's nothing to sneeze at. No, and and that's in a time frame where there were moments where this team didn't score a whole lot of goals. <laughs> so he had to put up shutouts or one goal games, and yet he was able to do that. And 
now he's three wins away from topping Liud as the most winning goaltender in Blues history. So I think that's another part of why he was a little bit higher ranked than most people think he might be is he has the stats. Yes, the things up in his head may not have worked well, but if you've got a guy like Bennington or you have an Elliott or a Hutton that's here challenging him, Jake Allen is going to be a decently good goaltender. Yeah, and and a lot was made when Bennington was taking over about how good of a teammate that Jake Allen was and you know, kind of being a, a bit of a mentor type for Jordan Bennington and kind of getting him settled in and supporting him and all that and offering advice. Uh, I think Jake's like four years Bennington senior. Um, but I think I think as much as Allen has helped Bennington, I think Bennington's helped Allen. Yep. Because uh, Bennington does have that calm kind of influence, and I think you know I've just in the times I've seen Jake Allen in the locker room this year. Uh, he just seems to be a lot more centered, a lot more assured of himself, which is which is the big thing with Jake Allen. Um, and I think he's turned a corner. And I think if we had done, done this bracket a year ago, I think Allen might have been ranked a little lower. Oh, yeah, you know? definitely. Definitely. But it's like, you know, it, it's I think if one thing this bracket might do, it might actually show people that Jake Allen actually has been pretty, pretty decent, you yeah. know, and, and I'm curious to see how far he goes here. Uh, and by the way, that does mean, yes, I think it's Jake Allen over Roman Turek in a decent walk here. I, I mean, Turek had that one good year, and but God, that goal. It's one of those things. He he led them to probably one of the best regular seasons in Blues history. Uh, but yeah, it's always going to come down to that goal and that series. And everybody remembers that and that's not, that's never going to go away unfortunately whereas Jake Allen's let him soft goals here there almost every game but it, it's never been one of those that has truly cost the team something yes maybe one you know the year they had a chance to beat Colorado to go to the playoffs not great but it never was him in the in the in the playoff game crap in the bed essentially yeah definitely definitely well, speaking of divisive players, we actually have two of them coming up here for the Blues. Uh, uh, number seven, Yaroslav Halak versus number 10, Brent Johnson. Again, another one of those matchups that's probably bringing up some acid reflux for Blues fans for different reasons. But unlike Allen versus Turek, this one's this one's kind of tough. It is. How is this segment not sponsored by Pepto Bismol? I mean, come on. It, it needs to be seriously. Pepto. If if you know anyone that it works in Pepto Bismol marketing, uh, that wants to sponsor a hockey podcast, call us seriously. <laughs> you know, we'll we'll, we'll we'll definitely take your phone call. Um, Yaroslav Halak. I mean, another one of those guys. How how many times have I said this? Another one of those guys that was supposed to be the one. He was supposed to be the savior. Um, I remember when I was working in Northern Illinois and we had a very small TV in our room and I saw it flash on ESPN that the blues have acquired Yaroslav Halak. Uh, and they, they, they only gave up Lars Eller and uh, nobody for him. Um, I like jumped out of my seat and like people I was working with thought I was crazy. Like I just like, you know, suddenly, you know, was hallucinating or something. Um, but this was the this was the year, uh, right after Halak made that amazing playoff run, and actually, you know, was mainly the reason why uh, the Canadians made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, he yeah. was hot, he was on fire. 
but he was never going to supplant Carey Price in Montreal. This was back when Carey Price still had all this promise behind him. Uh, and and I thought when the Blues got Halak, I thought this is it. They've got their franchise goaltender. Let's freaking go, Wags. Yeah, I mean, after watching that series against Montreal or with Montreal that that playoff run, you were like, yes, this is it. He's going to come in. He's going to lock it down. And this is the the, the year the Blues are going to win the Stanley Cup because we've got Yaroslav Halak on our team. And, and he didn't play terribly in St. Louis. And he, he was lucky enough to be able to be paired with, you know, with Brian Elliott for a good portion of that time frame. Uh, you know, that year of 2011-2012 between the two of them, he had a 197 goals against with a 926 save percentage. Um, he played very well. But once again, we talk about, a guy that has had to deal with injuries, yeah, uh, not just here, but in Boston as well, um, and, and and even a little bit in Montreal, he he just was never really able to put it all together, and he kind of has some shades of a Jake Allen in him as well, in the sense that there's something up here in his head that that went around a couple of years there where he just wasn't able to lock it down fully, um, and. I think he's done a great job in Boston being the backup to Rask. I think that relationship between the two is really, really good. Um, and the relationship he had with Elliot, I think, was pretty good as well. But it just it was one of those things that just never really panned out here. And unfortunately, it didn't work. But it turned into, you know, Chris Stewart coming here and us eventually getting other guys. So it wasn't a bad overall experience with Halak. It was just not uh, what we expected it to be. Well, I, I guess you can officially say that, uh, you know, Halak – he ended up becoming Ryan Miller and Steve Ott. Uh, Ryan Miller, of course, did not work out, but I mean, he let's face it, he wasn't that much worse than Halak was at the time. <laughs> and Steve Ott was fine. I mean, he was he was yeah. he, he, and he's now an assistant. Um, the, the 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 thing with Halak and and one of my one of my friends in, from high school had a nickname for Halak, and that was Rain Man, because he kind of he kind of looked like Dustin Hoffman's character from the movie Rain Man at times, where just like kind of like. Kind of like rocking, you know, you know, amongst himself. He never, he never, he never seemed like he was very. Uh, I mean, he was very a qu- very quiet guy. You know, wasn't wasn't very emotive. And but yeah, at the same time, you know, he he had some stuff going on between the years too. I think uh, he still had good numbers with the Blues. I mean, don't I mean, you know, two twenty three goals against and a nine sixteen save percentage isn't anything to shake your, you know, head at, but. It just it wasn't it, he had the same issues that Jake Allen has now and other goalies have had in the past where it just was not good enough and it was it was just not working for one reason or another. Flip over to Brent Johnson, on the other hand, the original Jake Allen, and it, it, it's funny with Johnson because it felt like Brent Johnson was a blue forever, and maybe it was just that just endemic of how his tenure was. 227 goals against average and a 903 save percentage in 143 games with the Blues. Not bad numbers. Uh, but he also was he playing during a period where goals against averages were kind of down in general. Um, he was supposed to be another guy who was supposed to be the guy. Um, he came along really, he kind of took over for a, you know, spontaneously combusting Roman Turek at the time. And... Um, he he was someone that first of all he was acquired from the blue uh from the Colorado Avalanche um for a third round pick in 1997 so he was kind of just considered depth at one point but i think he had a really good minor league career and kind of opened up some eyes with the blues and of course as you know wags with Bennington and 
other guys. I mean, goaltending is voodoo, you know, so you just, you just never know with some goaltenders. Um, he, but he was so reviled. I remember, and I, I was definitely on the anti Brent Johnson bandwagon in the early two thousands because it never seemed, and I think he may have just been a victim of his own hype, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, he just, he never was to me, number one worthy. And maybe, and maybe it was a little unfair, but I think after his career, after the Blues kind of proved what he was, and that was he was an average goalie at best. Yeah, I mean, he he had some great, like you said, just looking at his numbers down in Worcester, uh, you know, a 201, 119, 146, 161 goals against. Uh, he had around nine, a, 900, a 90 save percentage in his time down in, in Worcester. Um, so it wasn't great. But then he came up here and he played well his first couple of years with the Blues. His save percentage, obviously not great, but goals against, like you said, it was a time frame where it was goaltending driven. So 2.17, 2.18 uh, in the, in the oh, uh, 2000, 2001, 2001, 2002 seasons combined nine shutouts in that time frame. So he played pretty well in, in limited amount of time. And then once 2002 hit, you could really start to see the wheels kind of come off. Uh, he jumped up to a two, almost a two five goals against and his save percentage dropped that down to that 90% mark. Um, he just, yeah, for me, that was another one of those time frames for me where he was a guy that I looked at and thought, okay, yeah, he could be a good goaltender. I was all, I was a Brent Johnson fan. I remember his shutout streak <laughs> and, and, and those sorts of things. So I gravitated towards Brent Johnson because after Cujo and after fear and after the debacle of Turek, you know, we needed somebody to, to grab onto. And when he played well and started putting together some strings here and there, we were like, okay, yeah, let's, let's go for this. And then it just never really panned out. And then to get traded for Mike Sillinger, um, uh, that, I think that kind of tells you what kind of goaltender he was. Yeah. I mean, nothing against Mike Sillinger. I actually liked him when he was oh, with St. Louis. He yeah. was a great face-off guy. But, you know, he, he always had to keep a, you know, suitcase nearby because he kept, you know, moving teams. And uh, so, yeah, when you're getting traded for a Johnny backpack, that's not, you know, that's not a great thing there. Not a good, um, not a good sign. No, for, for me, the, the, the argument between Halak and Johnson just comes down to the simple fact that, you know, you look at the, the track records of both players. Halak has the Jennings Award. He has the he was six in the Vesna voting that year as well. He did have his his great moments were a lot better in my opinion than Brent Johnson's great moments were, um, and I mean and you look at their you know time spent in the I mean they both had played an almost equal amount of time in St Louis in terms of games I mean Brent Johnson played one forty three Halak played one fifty nine, but Halak's numbers are just that much in my opinion just that much better yeah uh, so I I, th- I give the nod to Halak. But I would not be surprised if some of you fans decide to throw some votes Brent Johnson's way as well. It wouldn't uh, shock me. One hundred percent agree. I mean, it's infinitesimal how the difference in the in the in the stats. You know, two two seven versus a two two three, a nine zero three minus versus a nine sixteen. But what Halak did, and a time where the team was not as good, I yeah. think. And you look at that. I mean, Halak was playing at a time I think when Eric Brewer was here. So yeah. going back to that, you know, when you, when you wah, have wah, no defense, wah. no defense to really speak of, and yet you're sitting there and you and Elliot are combining to set the Jennings, you know, win the Jennings trophy and then setting shutout records and this and that, 
you know, it, it really shows you what he did for in, in his time here in St. Louis. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think Halak's the nod. I wouldn't be surprised if some people still go with Brent Johnson. Uh, not a wrong vote there, but I just think Halak is just a little bit better. Yeah, I agree. And then our final matchup, which should be another walkover, uh, Grant Fuhr, the number two seed, taking on the number 15, 15 seed, Rick Wamsley. And what more can you say about Grant Fuhr than just an absolute Iron Man for the Blues uh, during his time here, Wags? Uh, 76 consecutive games started as a record. Uh, that that yeah. right there. I mean, and he was he was not a young chicken at that point. He already nope. had his time in Edmonton and, and, and all that, and he yet he came in and just was – a workhorse and and this is another one of those cases where if something doesn't happen this is a Stanley Cup winning team yeah. I mean you've got Grant Fuhrer you've got this is the team that has Hall and Gretzky and Pronger and McInnes and Pavel Dimitra and like that that was the team yeah. that was the team to win it all and I don't want to say his name because I don't want to give him the time of day but there was a guy that destroyed Grant Fuhrer, and he will never be welcome in St. Louis ever. No. In fact, I want to punch my screen every time I see him come on as a TSN analyst. I hate the guy so much because uh, that was our year. It was. That was that was Gretzky had it, lost it. You know, and and you know, poor John Casey. I mean, he did his best, but God. there's another guy that didn't make the list. <laughs> no, another guy that did not make the list for a reason. Um, Grand Fuhr, and, and, the, and the thing I love about the Grand Fuhr story with the Blues, and I, I, I recently watched, he has a documentary out, mm-hmm. by the way. I recently checked it out. It's pretty good. But uh, I, I didn't really realize where he was in his career at the time that he signed with the Blues. He was a journeyman. He, he, he After his time in Edmonton, you know, the, the band basically, you know, got disassembled at Edmonton. Um, they had Ranford coming up and kind of supplanted Fuhr. And then... You know, Fuhr had some issues with drugs, namely cocaine. Yep. Uh, and, and, you know, around the, around 1990, that, that years following and preceding that, um, he bounced around after Edmonton. He went to Toronto. He went to Buffalo. He uh, came to the Blues from the LA Kings, a, a, a very unmemorable period uh, with the Kings. You forget he's a king because he sucked. He was four. He had a 404 goals against average and an 876 save percentage in 14 games with the Kings. This was the season before he played 79 games for the Blues and starts 76 games in a row. Uh, he is probably one of the only guys I can think of that actually um, benefited from Mike Keenan because I in the documentary he credited Mike Keenan for getting you know helping you know get his head straight and giving him another chance. Uh, so. And then, yeah, he 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 was an incredible Iron Man. Um, even after the his knee exploded, uh, thanks to the guy who shall not be named, uh, <laughs> he still had a very good year following that. Ninety six, ninety seven, he had a two seventy two goals against average and a nine hundred one save percentage, which were fine numbers back then. Uh, not like elite numbers, but they they were fine. And then there was that slow decay with Fuhr, where uh, he. Uh, only played 39 games in his last year as a uh, blue. Uh, still had decent numbers, a 243 goals against and an 892 save percentage, but it, it definitely downward trending. And he ended up getting traded to Calgary, as many goalies who, you know, the Blues discard go to, <laughs> uh, like Turek and Elliott. Um, he ended up getting traded to Calgary for, the thir- for a third-round pick, which became Justin Papineau. 
who then became Chris Osgood. So there's interesting little Justin Papineau is the bridge between Grand Fuhrer and Chris Osgood. I bet you weren't expecting to learn that today. Not at all. Not but now, at all. Now you know. Now you know. The more and you know. Knowing is half the battle. Go Joe. And, <laughs> and, and and of course he's playing a guy. He's taking on Rick Wamsley, who also got traded to Calgary. Uh, a Blues goalie going to Calgary, but this one was the big Brett Hall deal. It was Ramage and Wamsley for. Uh, Brett Hall and Steve Bozick. Uh, Wamsley became a very good goaltending coach. Uh, I think he still does that, or at least he was for a while. Um, was decent as a blue. He played, you know, about 40 games a year uh, in the in the few years preceding his trade to Calgary. Um, but he wasn't great. Um, I he was he was just fine. And I think and I and I think he's he definitely has a you know brotherhood of backup goaltending card i think you know the the union for the uh nhl goaltenders he was definitely a career backup and that's pretty much all he was yeah i mean very much so i mean like you said he didn't do a whole lot in st louis people know who he is um a lot of it because of his goaltending coaching more than anything else and you you look at that's what you look at sometimes when you look at good coaches They, they they really weren't great players but they understood the game or they understood the position. And that's what that's Rick Romsley right there. I mean, 341 goals against 888 save percentage in this time here with St. Louis. And yet he was a two-time all-star. So, <laughs> it, it, you know, it's, you know, the numbers weren't great. I mean, you also compare him to things like uh, the stats that Mike Liu put up. You know, Liu yeah. had, a, had a worse save percentage in his time here with St. Louis and a higher goals against average yet. He four-time all-star and placed second in the heart voting. So it's all about the time frame that you're here. Right. And, and who you're playing with. And for Wamsley, he was just good enough to entice Calgary to trade Brett Hall. Yeah. And well, then he was it, also it, part of the trade to Toronto with, with Doug Gilmore, too. So he's, that's he true. wasn't a bad goaltender. It's just going up against Grant Fuhrer, numbers aren't going to look so great. Yeah, he, he, he was the passenger in some great trades, basically. He was never – he was always the bridesmaid, but never the bride. Yep. You know, so that's Rick Wamsley for you. This one's Fuhrer in a walkover, I think. No question. So no question. Uh, uh, but how, what do you think of, of our bracket? Let us know. Our fan voting starts at noon on Monday. We'll have it up for the entire week. And then Blue Notes and the rest of the Hockey Podcast Network podcast will be back the following Monday. We are uh, going once a week, as we announced here uh, at the start of this episode. So I want to thank you all for your support. Wags, any final thoughts? Once again, I thought this was going to be a, a good bracket. We had some good arguments, and I'm really excited to see what the fans think on, on some of these matchups. Yeah, definitely, for sure, for sure. And, uh, of course, next week we will have our first forward bracket. We have two. Uh, we will have uh, another tough bracket to fill for various reasons, the before haul uh, bracket of forwards. So these are players uh, from uh, before the time that Brett Hall was a blue. So we'll run those down for you next week. But in the meantime, that is going to do it for this episode of Blue Notes. I want to thank you for listening because without you, there is no me, there is no WAGS, and there is no Hockey Podcast Network. On behalf of WAGS, I'm Tom Franklin reminding you to not be a chump and always play to the whistle.
You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Download at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.